um, we've actually got asked back to um, give you a different slant on marriage. Um, we know that over the past few years we've done a lot on the theology of marriage, uh, a lot of the deep Bible stuff on marriage, and we hope that you guys have still continued to research and to know the good books on that sort of stuff. So the book that I um, really like is the Tim Keller book on the meaning of marriage, uh, the Christopher Ash book on Married for God, and I thought you guys could just throw in, where's another good marriage book that's deep, meaningful, and has the right uh, purpose for marriage? Any other names of books that you've read? Love and Respect. Love and Respect. Yeah. Okay. Emerson Eckeridge. Eck- Emerson What did you expect? Haven't heard that one. Okay, good. You had one. You told me. A good book on marriage. What was it called? I can't remember what I Christopher Ash, Married for God. What is marriage? And whose was that one? Uh, Sharif Gurgis. Sharif Gurgis. Anyway. F- oh, okay. Anyway, the deal is there's some really great, deep, theologically sound, purposeful books on marriage. And we're not doing that today. <laughs> What we're going to do is put the how-to. Scott uh, rang us up and said, could we put the how-to rather than the why? So the why, the purpose, the God stuff in the Bible we'll touch on, but mainly we're going to be doing the practical how, putting the handles on your marriage. And we have called it uh, the refresh, calling it We Matter. Why do we matter? Well, we're going to build that over the next couple of sessions today. But we're going to start by remembering who we are. Okay. This is what you're going to do in your groups. First of all, we're going to realise that each couple is very unique. Unless you were in an arranged marriage or whether you thought anyone would do, you chose each other for a purpose. The two of you got together rather than you with the old boyfriend or the old girlfriend. There was a time in your life where you thought this is the one. So I'm going to listen to just a couple of funny clips first from couples that look old but have made it. Well, he was a head counselor at the boys' camp, and I was a head counselor at the girls' camp. And they had a social one night, and he walked across the room. I thought he was coming to talk to my friend Maxine, because people were always crossing rooms to talk to Maxine. But he was coming to talk to me. And he said, I'm Ben Small of the Coney Island Smalls. At that moment, I knew... I knew the way you know about a good melon. <laughs> I hope you knew he was a good melon. <laughs> Let's listen to one more. I love this one. Both born in the same in hospital. 1921. Seven days apart. In the same hospital. We both grew up we one block away from tenements. each other. On the Lower East Side. On Delancey Street. My family moved to the Bronx he when I was 10. lived on Fordham Road. Hers moved when she was I 11. I lived on 183rd Street. For six years, she worked on the 15th floor. I worked for a very prominent as a nurse, where I had a practice on the 14th floor, the very same we building. We never met. Never met. Can you imagine that? You know where we met? In an elevator. I was visiting family. In the Ambassador Hotel in Chicago, He was Illinois. on the third floor. I was on the 12th. I rode up nine extra floors just to keep talking to her. Nine extra floors. Aren't they cute? Nine extra floors. (laughs) 
So you, you did become a we at one stage, you met. And uh, we're going to get you to answer these questions in your groups of six, just a way to get to know each other as well. But first of all, Scott's going to answer the questions as how we met. Where did we meet? What first attracted you, Scotty? And how long have you been married, which is pretty much the same time as me? <coughs> well, um, this sounds a bit funny, but we met on Terrigal Beach. Um, and I was just... Uh, it was October, it was cold, it was... Uh, a long time ago and so there wasn't a lot of people there and I was just going down the beach to chill. I had a really tough day and I had just the guitar and the blanket and I thought that's all you need. So I was heading down to the beach and just going to chill out and play the guitar as the sun set behind me. And my, um, this girl came wandering up the, up the beach and just said, well, who are you going to play to? And I said, strange girl, no one, go away. <laughs> And so, uh, so she went up into the, uh, into the car park and then she looked at my car and back in those days you had a fish, sing- fish on, your, on your car and, uh, and she looked at the car and there was only two cars in the car park and they had a fish. She looked in the front and there was a Bible on the front seat she said, it's got to be him. So she went down to, the, to me on the towel again and I'm playing away. And she goes, excuse me, is that your car up there? And I thought, great, she's hit it. But, <laughs> only two cars in the car park and she hits it she says, no and she says oh so are you a Christian I said yeah she said so am I I said that's great so drag up a bit of blanket and sit down so we played guitar and we sung songs and we talked and the sun set behind us oh. <laughs> I know how to turn it on don't I so that's where we meet but uh, and, and I think it was the were you going to give the opposing view no, no 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 okay and um and so then what first attracted me was uh, I think I really enjoyed just being able to talk to Kim and being able to share and the fact that she liked my guitar playing, which was really important. Um, and uh, we didn't actually get together at that point. It was about another six months later before we got together. And then we got married a year and a bit later after that. And that was in 1979. So that's 34 years got it right <laughs> it wasn't um it wasn't that easy for me to actually walk back down on the beach I'll tell you I was going I don't do this sort of stuff I don't chat people up but I'm glad I did <laughs> and mind you you know he knew where I lived and everything didn't turn up for what eight weeks later before we met again by chance so he wasn't in the good books then for those of you who are interested in the deeper and the and the much deeper story about that one we're actually on a um on the Rima broadcasts this week, because it's marriage week this week, if you weren't aware. So if you listen to the Rima broadcast and the focus on the family, we've got a half-hour slot on that this week. So there you go, you'll hear the whole story. <laughs> but we want you guys to talk to each other about your story. So in your groups of six, you have time to answer the questions. Where did you meet? What first attracted you? And how long have you been married? So in your groups of six, away you go till we tell you you're out of time. Hopefully you'll get it done. Okay, do it again. Can I have your attention back this way? Great. It's great to hear the buzz. Oh, look, that's the hard part. We've got some couples that have only got four in them, so it's sort of a balance trying to work it out right. 
But uh, you've got other breaks and lunch times and things. Um, why did I get you to do that other than just having a nice buzz and getting to know each other a bit better? Is it important to remember your history when you became a we? <laughs> it really is. Um, there's a lot of evidence to show that a couple who can look back on their beginnings with a positive, uplifting memories are really going to have a much better success at marriage than those who start to recast their history. So couples, when a marriage is starting to unravel, can hear themselves saying things like, it was a mistake from the beginning. I knew, but I didn't pick up the vibes. I should never have walked down that aisle. And so... I don't think that any of you, by the sound of the laughter and all the rest of it, had that sense of that feeling. But it may very well happen in the couples you talk to and those in your, in your um, churches as well, that if you ask a couple, and cu- counsellors will, tell us about your early days. And if you see them spark up and remember, you've got a real good hope to getting them back on track. Okay. Because what happens in the unravelling couple is they start to recast their former feelings to fit in with how they feel now. And so how I feel now is so powerful, I couldn't possibly have loved that guy back then. (laughs) But the fact is, I doubt that any of you ever sort of looked at it. I didn't look at Scott and say, geez, you know, we've been together for a whole year and I really hate you now. I think it's about time we got married. (laughs) You know, we do start in that positive light. So remember your history. Remember that you began well and that that will foretell a good future for you if you can get back on track when you start to unravel. But is marriage just a history of feeling good and thinking, you know, let's just get together now? No. A marriage is so much different. It's the vows that you make. It's the promises you make to each other. Um, Have you ever heard of a family that sort of, you know, buys tickets from England to travel to Australia because they've just heard their children have just moved in with someone? It doesn't happen. You know, our society might think cohabiting is the same as, as a marriage, but we all know deep down it's not. And yet when a wedding's announced, relatives come from all over because this is a special celebration. What's wrong with cohabiting compared to marriage? I think I've, lo- I've thought about this a lot and I think the difference is in cohabiting there's ambiguity. There's that sense of we're just trying this out, we're not sure, we start out insecure. We have to play our part a little bit harder because we're not sure, has this person really committed to me or not? But marriage, where we have that biggest celebration out of our lives and we gather all our friends together and we stand before God and we make those commitments, we start with this sense of security, of knowing where we're going. So marriage, I mean, your we isn't just the fact that you met and you enjoyed each other's company and you decided to get together. You actually made promises in the sight of God. And whatever words you chose, whether you used traditional or you made up your own, I mean, I've been to some marriages where I've turned to Scott afterwards and said, are they really married now? <laughs> like, was that enough? And there's certain promises you have to make to each other. And it's not about how you feel, even though on that day you probably feel great. It's about making that commitment. So whatever words you use, they usually encompass these things. Scott, if you could read them. 
I commit myself to you in marriage, whatever happens, however I feel, whoever I meet, whenever we have problems, and whether or not I feel in love. So you become, the next one, a we. The Bible talks about leaving and cleaving. And those of you with older children who are getting ready for those to go and leave and cleave, it's a tough thing. But it's a necessary thing. And you needed to leave and cleave. And so, if you could read that too for me, Scotty. It's no longer me, I or mine. It's forever we, us and our. We need to strengthen that we, that whole concept of who we now are together. It's a very, very unpopular thing for this generation. Because marriages are being delayed longer and longer, couples are coming to marriage, even if they do get married and not just cohabit, they're coming with the sense of, but I'm a very independent person. I have my own friends, I have my own interests, and yeah, you can come along for the ride, but I'm me. It's a very unpopular thing to go with what the Bible says about becoming one. Now, we're not going to talk about enmeshing to the point of invisibility, but we are going to talk about that you can no longer think, I mean mine. It is forever, we, us and our. That's what the Bible talks about in marriage. And that's what we're going to do with you guys over these next couple of sessions. Strengthen that we. Remember your history in a positive light. Remember that you made promises to each other and remember that whatever length of marriage you have, you have to work on the we. I need a drink. Some of this is... Whoa. You do have your books if you want to make notes on the blank pages. But... um. I'm going to turn over to this page now is page three, the stages of a relationship. Whatever, whenever your we started and however long you took to get married and whatever years you're up to, these are the sort of, one at a time, huh? Go back to blending this thing. (laughs) Um, Usually the first stage of your relationship is a blending nesting time. What I call this is a time where it's quite intense where you want to spend lots of time together, where all five love languages, if you know what I mean by that book, are in powerful effect. Serving, giving, gifts, time, affection, touching, the whole thing's going. And uh, it can be an incredibly intense time. Now, some of you may not have had that, and I, I can't pick each one of you, but I know for Scott Knight it certainly was. You know, we got to the stage where we swapped cars so that when I finished work I could see his car. And when he finished work, he could see my car. And, uh, Sad. <laughs> she got the better deal. Yeah, I got the newer car. But there was that sense of not, in the old days, when you didn't have mobiles, of not being able to put the phone down. You know, good night, good night. You still there? Yeah. Good night, good night. And on it goes. You know, we had an incredibly intense time, and maybe you did too. But you want it. It's that in love feeling, and you want to be together. It's usually the glue. The hormones are going, the oxytocin and the dopamine, and they're gluing you together and you're blending and nesting. The trouble with that stage is, unless you're very unique, it doesn't last. (laughs) It can't last forever. It visits every now and then. (laughs) 
but basically you'll move on to the next stage. Somewhere in the three, two to five years. What I call a self-affirming stage is a stage where you start to feel like you want to pull back a little. You want to go back to something that you're missing. You've invested so much in that relationship that you've forgotten who you are. And oh my goodness, I'm missing playing tennis <laughs> because I've started going watching all your ballet concerts or whatever it is. Um, you've spent so much time together that it's almost feeling smothering and you want to just back out a little. What happens for couples in this stage is they get very scared. They start thinking, oh, I'm falling out of love. And maybe when you look back at some previous relationships, that happened to you. But it's very, very normal to go through a self-affirming stage and very healthy because if you looked around the world and everyone was in a blending nesting stage, what would be happening? Nothing. Nothing much. <laughs> We're all gazing into each other's eyes and nothing much is happening. So it's important. You could tell that in the celebrity marriages, can't you? They only last two to five years. Well, they don't last the whole lot because, look, I've fallen out of love with you and I'm really not feeling the same, so I must move on and get all those feelings back again, blending and nesting with someone else. Okay, I'll move up this then. So self-affirming's normal, and if that's what you have felt, that's okay. I'm all right here. Somewhere in that, we do get married. Um, children come along, and I look out on this crowd, <laughs> and I go, collaborating stage. What's collaborating stage? It's a stage where you are giving an enormous amount of support to each other. Life is busy. You've got children. You're building a house. Someone's gaining further in education. Someone decides to start a business or plant a church or whatever you're doing. And you are so busy. You are basically playing what we call, Scotty? Tag team. Tag team. You do this while I do that. You pick up the kids from here and I'll do that. You do the washing up while I put the baby to bed. Whatever it is, you're a team. It can be great if it's handled well, collaborating stage. You really feel like great partners. But there's a real danger in the collaborating stage that you lose the... We. You lose the we. In fact, you're spending so much time doing this tag teaming, that really you can step, get to the stage where you wonder, well, do I really love this guy after all? Or I just can't do it on my own. I can't do it by myself. It's a real danger in collaborating stage that you lose each other, even though as a team you're going really, really well. And how you handle that stress during that collaborating time is really, really important because how you handle what, what happens when you're in your most stressful time and and that then, how you, that manifests itself in your actions, that is really a key thing. So if you then tend to go inside yourself or you get angry or whatever that is, in that collaborating stage, that is, is what will then cement itself into the rest of your behaviour as you go through life. So if you are somebody that when you're getting stressed, you separate out and you do it with your, your own emotions, then you can go through the whole of that collaborating stage um, and be doing the tag teaming and be great partners in doing that, but you've really lost each other. So there's quite a dangerous part at the end of the collaboration stage where you can look at it and go, well, who are we? Which leads us on to the next one. 
which is the adapting stage. Now, by this time, kids are older, and some of you are way out of that yet, but they will get there as quick as, you, quick as a flash. Uh, teenagers are coming and going. The adapting that's happening is that it used to be we, too, then we had the kids, but it's still us, because we still do life, and they hang with us. They do what we do. We decide when we go somewhere. In the adapting stage, you're getting to the point where you're running around after them. The kids have a life of their own, and suddenly your life is, is changing so much, trying to accommodate the changes in the kids' lives. All right? Plus, you've got parents at that stage who are getting older, and you're adapting to them as well. You've probably had job losses, You've probably changed uh, houses by then. You've got uh, people coming and going. You've got boyfriends and girlfriend things happening. You've got uh, stresses with kids in education, all the rest of it. And you're not sure what life's supposed to look like now. And the biggest danger, I think, for the men in this adapting stage, if I may be brave enough to say it, is that you wait till your kids get to teenage years, adolescent years... And that is your highest risk of having a midlife phase, what used to be called midlife crisis. But it's more like a phase. It can go on for a few years. And what is happening, girls, for your men, is they're re-evaluating everything. They're going, is this what life was really meant to turn out like? Do I really, you know, it, was, it sounded good, but look at the humdrum we're in. I want to change. I want something new. And if you're not attuned to that, wives can get very scared and wonder what's happening to their husbands. Girls, basically, you've had few changes in your life through that time. You've maybe worked, then stopped work. You've had babies. You've gone back and done a bit of part-time work. But your guys can sometimes have been in the same space for decades and they're hankering for something new. So adapting is a really dangerous time there too, if it's not handled well. So is it all bad news? Hopefully not. <laughs> Hopefully you get through. And some problems that you've been dealing with just grow up and leave home. <laughs> no, they, um, they change. <laughs> um, and come back, yeah. But by then you've learned to handle a lot of things. You've, you've dealt with a lot of changes in life and if you're still together and if you haven't forgotten that we, you can have a great time. Scott and I are in the renewing stage but, you know, there were some rocky patches in those other stages but now it's great. We're back to being us. We've looked at each other and gone, I remember. I remember I quite liked you <laughs> and he quite liked me. Isn't that amazing? I've still got the guitar. <laughs> he still plays it. But... um. Renewing, You know, you've probably got a few people in your mind that you go, yeah, they're, they're really doing well in this latter stage of life. A bit more freedom, a bit more money, a <laughs> bit more time to invest in things that are important and it's not all about us. It's about the kingdom and the growth as well. And I guess for you guys, here we are in our renewing stage investing into you. So it can be great. But it's got to be handled well through every stage of life. And it's good to just know at their normal stages. So this time, just with your husband or wife, I'd like you to turn to your couple talk one, which is on the next page, page four. 
talk about. Scotty, could you read out the questions if you could? So what stage do you feel that you're in now? So that shouldn't be too difficult for you to do that, but have a look through the, the previous page, work out what stage you think you are in now, and share with each other how you have weathered or thrived that stage in the previous stage. So when you look back at the blending, yeah, did we go through that? Maybe, maybe not, some don't. And self-affirming, collaboration, where are you at now? And just sort of reflect upon those to sort of go, yeah, that's, that's what happened to us. I wish we'd have known that at the time. Uh, then look at the stage you're in right now and what the implications of that are and look to the next stage because life does come in stages and it's when you are aware of what's coming, it can help you to prepare for it. And then talk about the next stage looming up in front of you and what concerns you have about it. As Kim's just talked about, like with the collaboration or the, the self-affirming, uh, the, um, um, the adapting stage as the kids grow up, um, what sort of are some of the things that you're likely to go through there that you can prepare for now? So could you guys just move your chairs a little bit away from each other and face, each, face your husband and wife so you're not in the group of six? We'll bring you back to them later. And we'll give you a good ten minutes to talk on that. I'm going to have to call a halt. Just turn your chairs around so you can see me, but stay in your twos. That'll be good. I'm sorry if I have to interrupt such good conversations, but it's better than lagging and thinking, oh, what else have we got to say to each other? <laughs> um, a good thing to talk about at every stage, what's coming up, what's looming ahead of us. Okay, let's move on. So when we were asked to come back and do Geneva Refresh for more than once, well, hopefully, if you like what we're doing this time, we get to come back next year. We thought, well, we'll start with strengthening the we, like the top of the stool, like we're trying to do now, remembering your history and a bit more that we'll do, talking about the stages of the we as you go through. But the stools of the we that we're looking at through this next day is friends, partners and lovers. I'm a big um, proponent of less is more so I'm not going to try and go too far deep on each of those legs this time we're hoping to do a little bit more next year on those legs but we're going to tackle how do we become good friends partners and lovers uh, as the, the legs that are holding up the way okay so let's start with friends we were going to do a group talk but we're running out of time so we're going to just throw that open Name some qualities of a group, good friendship outside of marriage. So just throw it in. What's a good friendship look like? Just any friends you have. <laughs> Someone who looks after the kids, yeah. People you can have fun with. Support, someone who gives you good support. Trust, people you can trust. They like doing the same stuff. Honesty. Two-way street. Enjoyment of each other. Sense of humour. Like-mindedness. Good stuff. Games. Like have a bit of fun. <laughs> Someone to let go with, eh? <laughs> it's good. Someone who gets you. Nice. That's a good one. I'm still looking. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. So, 
What does friendship look like inside marriage? I mean, that sounds pretty awesome to me. Is it any different inside marriage? There's added commitment. More stress in the friendship. There's more stress in the in the life. Yeah, yeah. Might not have the space. Meaning. Right, yeah. If you're living with them, it might be a different thing. <laughs> that's right. And I guess that's where I want to wrap it in because all those good qualities of a friendship outside of marriage, we hope that they'll come inside marriage. But we don't take into account that we don't live with our friends. And usually we're not trying to change our friends either, are we? We recognise that they might be different to us and they add something to us but we sort of don't try and mould them into being us. And yet when we hit marriage, that's what we try to do. We go, we're so alike, next one, in that first line history. I can't believe we have so much in common. You know, that's the blending nesting stage, isn't it? Scott and I used to go, oh, my goodness, both our mother's name is Gwen. That's amazing. (laughs) Meant to be. Meant to be. (laughs) Uh, We both love caramel ice cream, you know. We stress all the things we love the same, you know, because we have so much in common. And then the next thing? Actually, in some ways, we're very different. What sort of stage might that be coming out in, if you can look back? Yeah, and the self-affirming. We're we're really quite different. Oh, my goodness, I didn't realise. We're very different. Then next one. We really are so different. And then. We were just too different. Just too different. It's a shame it works out like that. I actually think it's really sad that our, our system, our legal system, basically says that's all you've got to prove for divorce, isn't it? What do you have to prove? Does anyone know? irreconcilable differences that is amazing as though we're going to marry someone who's the same as us like for one thing he's a man just doesn't think like me (laughs) and he's got a different history and a different family and he's got different goals and yet all I have to prove is that we have irreconcilable differences I think the basis of that is so wrong instead of learning to value the differences we have, work with the differences we have and stop fighting so much against the differences we have. But when we're in that blending nesting stage, there's the little saying, love is what? Love is blind. It can't see those differences. It just can't see them. And yet we do start to feel them once we've moved into our our marriages. So we're going to do a little bit of couple work together on differences. It's going to look like this. So this is quite a true thing, is that what first attracts us ends up infuriating us. Yeah, a bit does like that, this. Does that sound familiar? Like, she married him because he was such a strong man and she divorced him because he was so domineering. He married her because she was so fragile and cute 
but he divorced her because she was so weak and helpless. She married him because he looked like a good provider and she divorced him because all he thought about was work. She married him because he was romantic and fun-loving and she divorced him because he was shiftless and a party boy. Is that Dave, is it? <laughs> it's a different spin on it, isn't it? It's seeing something as a positive that once you live with it, looks like a real negative. Because we stop, we stop recognising our differences and we just butt up against them all the time. So let's have a little bit of fun like this. Recognising our difference. Here's some that we've thought of and they're in your book on page 7. So the point, well, the exercise we want you to do here is uh, just in your, uh, just by your, each one of you by yourself at the moment, we want you to look at all of those little things and work out in your couple which one of you is like more active and which one of you is more relaxed and, and so on and so forth. And then on that little continuum line, put your little initials. So it, it'll look something like this, you know, for Kim and I. Like Kim's more active, I'm more relaxed. Um, spontaneous um, I'm sort of a little bit more spontaneous but I'm not sort of radically spontaneous and Kim's a bit more cautious than I am so you can see there's a little bit of a continuum there so what we'd like to do is is just by yourself turn to your book on page 7 and put your initial and your partner's initials um, on the continuum as to where you see yourself and go through that really quickly and then pass the books across so that you can then compare how well you each went and what your perspective was compared to your partner. So no cheating. Are you trying to build up our marriages? Or no, this, yeah. is, this, is create, this is creating division. <laughs> we'll get there, Dave. again <laughs> you really can't you can't lose on that there's no win or lose on that one if you got it right you go yay and if you got it wrong you go isn't this spicy I don't know everything about him or her yet the one that we find most couples disagree or find a bit of a light bulb on is the noisy house quiet house had so many girls end up saying music on. I thought you loved the kids screaming rap. No, I want a quiet house. <laughs> so um, it's a matter of finding out the differences. So now that you realise some of you are very different and some of you are similar in some areas, there's sure to be some differences. So how are you going to value that? How are you going to end up with what first attracted me isn't infuriating me, but I'm learning to value it. 
Um, Scott's going to read a little bit of a story from Bill Hybels, his confessions of uh, how he learnt to value a difference in his life and his wife. Here we go. <clears throat> this is out of the marriage book by Bill Hybels. And he says, uh, he says these things. Lynn was more structured and organised than me. For myself, I preferred a more spontaneous approach to life, a make-it-up-as-you-go kind of approach. I found her penchant for planning rather charming. But several years into our marriage, the fascination turned to frustration. I began to resent some of the very qualities that had attracted me to her initially. There was a structure issue. She simply could not live with question marks. She always wanted to know the plan, like when we were going on vacation, when we were leaving and when we were coming home, all in advance. Now I've come back a full circle to deep appreciation of the differences between us. Because Lynn is an introvert, our home is a safe and it's a tranquil place. It's a refuge. My life is crowded to overflowing with people and I need a wife who knows how to keep life in order. Thanks to Lynn's preference for structure, we have an organised home. We have clean clothes. We have a healthy diet. We have a budget that works and two children know how to sit down and finish their homework. And I have to admit that some of our adventures have actually been enhanced by her thoughtful planning. Many times I was tempted to take out a hammer and chisel and reshape Lynn into a replica of me and I even tried a little now and then. Thank God I didn't succeed. I realise now that one of me is plenty in our home. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. We do get the chisel out and we do try and make the other person be more like us. Why can't a woman be more like a man? The old song out of Pig, um, My Fair Lady. Um, but we have to learn to value what uh, each is bringing to the marriage. And uh, I've had to do that with Scotty. I don't know, some of you have known him from past years. He's a spreadsheet man. He has spreadsheets for everything. He spends hours on spreadsheets and it drives me crazy sometimes. You know, he'll have a spreadsheet when we're going away on holidays and he'll have everything listed, what's in what bag, how much does it weigh. <laughs> it's available <laughs> if you like it for download. <laughs> um, you know, so um, I have to learn to value it and I do it this way. If you can click on the next slide. Wait a minute, next one. Okay. No, you don't have that one. All right, okay. I have, to, I have to do it a bit like this. I say, okay, Scott is a spreadsheet man. It takes him a lot of time and it drives me crazy sometimes. But, but, look for the but. Um, I know our finances are in order. I know we'll never run out of good wine. And if we, lose, if we lose one of those bags on our travels, I know what's in it. I know which clothes are in it. And if we're overweight, which one we can shuffle around? Yeah. So, Scott is a spreadsheet man and it frustrates me sometimes. But there is a good thing to it. And this session is just on trying to value those differences. And it's hard to do. You have to really be forced to do it. So, we'll click the next one now. And it's on your page eight. It's your last thing for this session. Uh, we're going to cut it down to one, and it's going to be like list one difference that's causing you frustration in your marriage, and write down how you might view it in a more positive light. So, for instance, Sally is sensitive. It's easy to make her cry, but she's also sensitive to me, and she's a good friend. Or also, on your book, there's this one. 
Harry is a hoarder and he won't throw anything out. But he saves us a lot of money fixing things with what he has lying around the house. Okay, last exercise for today. Think so, of one of those differences that you've filled in that's frustrating of you and try and write it out with the but. And sometimes you've got to be a little bit creative. The most creative that can one be fun too. The most creative one we've heard was somebody who says, I just got sick of all the apple cores through the house, through the car. It was just everywhere she was, apple cores in the car. It was driving me nuts. And he, so when he was putting the positive spin on it, he said, but at least she eats healthy. <laughs> <laughs> you give it a go. You've only got two minutes to do it. So you give it a go and then swap your books with each other. A bit of fun that sometimes is really helpful as well, I hope. We've, in this session, we've tried to help you to remember the, the we, the, the history of how you got together, uh, the importance it is, the vows that you made, the commitments you made, the fact that uh, friends, friendship is important and friends value each other's differences. They don't try and chisel each other out. Uh, invariably, though, when we do this session... We have people come back and go, yeah, what if there is no positive spin? <laughs> I cannot find one. Well, guys, time's up, so come back next year. We'll work on what if there is no positive spin. But for now, you've really deserved <laughs> to have your lunch, have some fun together, and we'll see you back here after lunch for the next part on Partners and Lovers.